load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate about the weights And make a podcast! Sumo is cheating! This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Welcome to Weekly Weights. I'm Will Berkman and joining me this episode from across the globe is my usual co-host, Alex Hayes. Alex, welcome on the show. Thanks for having me, Will. Thank you. As the person who's hosting the Zoom meeting, I think this makes me the official host. Um, Also, very important announcement. It's Alex's birthday. So, happy birthday, Alex. Can you (laughs) sing me a song, please? You know what? That's actually my first question. We'll get to that when we get to it. Um, Guys, this episode is another Q&A. We've done two Q&As so far. Those ones were mostly serious. This one, though, it's a surprise Q&A. So you've submitted questions to myself and Alex for us to ask the other person, completely unprepared to put them on the spot and see what their responses are. I've got a lot of troll questions and only a few pretty serious ones for Alex. I'm sure the reverse is true as well. Um, and oh, sorry, before we get onto this, Alex, do you remember last time we did a and I called it the two and a. Yes. Okay. Have you got, have you got a name for this one? Yeah. So, on, number three. Ask three anything. <laughs> yeah. You're special. All right. Okay. So I've got like 20 questions here. I've picked out some of the best ones. The first one does pertain to me singing you happy birthday. So this is from Brandon Tan, aka Prince Bundan. And he's, I'm adapting his question. His actual question was play odds. And the loser has to sing the winner's choice of a song. Just a few lines. But Alex, instead of playing odds, oh, sorry, we'll play odds. But instead of our choice of a song, here's what's going to happen. We're going to play odds, just odds or evens. Like, you know, zero or one. If we say the same number, you win. If we say separate numbers, I win. If I beat you, you have to sing happy birthday to me. It's not even my birthday. But if you win, I'll sing to you. How do you feel about that? That's fine. Let's do it. But what's this game? So odds, the way odds works is you say, you know, you say a number like one in five. We count down three, two, one, both say a number between one and five. And if we say the same number, you have to like do whatever was put up for odds. In this instance, though, we're just playing like one in two odds. So we literally just say zero or one. And if we say the same number, I sing to you. If you say an opposite number to me, you sing to me. All right. This might, this might not work because I'm a bit laggy. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's fine. I'll do it with my fingers. Ready? Three, two, one, zero. Did you actually? Oh, you did your odds with your fingers. Is yes. that what you're saying? Oh, fuck. Okay. Well, happy birthday to Alex. Happy birthday to Alex. You look like a monkey and you smell like one too. That's it. There's your song. Thanks, bro. No worries. You're like one of the few people who has has messaged me today, yeah, but not actually said happy birthday yet. So, um, oh, so rude. How old are you? Twenty-seven. Yeah, twenty-seven. Way past your peak. That's you're going downhill as an athlete. Yeah, I'm I'm done. You're done. All right, your time, your turn. Ask a question. All right, from Mitch Ronan. (laughs) Yeah. I bet you know it's coming. Yeah. How come you lost all that weight and became Burke the Jerk? <laughs> so 
<laughs> um, for those who aren't aware, two bits of context. One, I used to be fat. And by fat, like I peaked at 118 kilos, I think, in high school. So that's pretty fat. Um, I was playing high level, <laughs> that's very fat. I'm five foot 10. Um, I was playing rugby at the time at a pretty high level, but when I was finishing year 12 rugby, I also knew that I didn't want to pursue rugby professionally. If I had, I don't think I would have made it anyway. So I knew I didn't want to do it professionally. I didn't like the impact that being fat had on the rest of my life. Um, like didn't like the fact that I sweated all the time. People made fun of me for being fat. Chicks weren't that attracted to me and things. So I thought this isn't serving a purpose that's important to me. I'm going to lose weight. So I did and I got skinny. And then the second bit of context is that Mitch Ronan has probably once a week for the past six to 10 months written to me, asking me to get fat again. And, he, and me. yeah, he doesn't look like relenting anytime soon. All right. So that's the answer. Question two, another not serious question. This is from Mags, um, Alex's client, Mags W. 1978 on Instagram asks, have you ever shat your pants as an adult? If yes, when? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, go. <laughs> um, actually, when I was deadlifting once. Really? Yeah, like a long time ago. Like probably five years ago. Okay. Like before I'd ever competed. Right, and just a bit of follow-through, like you farted while you were lifting, or? Yeah, it was like more of a shot than a sh full-blown shit. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I actually, I did something similar. I had like, I was training at Adonis. This is way back in the day. And I was with our mate, Doug. And I was squatting my top set. And I just let out an absolute thunderclap fart during the set. And like, whole gym heard it. Everyone was... Just stained your undies. Well, I like I legit thought I'd followed through. I had to go check and I had a clean wipe, so it was okay. But I was I was in a panic. I thought I'd done it. That's pretty funny. Nice. Well, I, I didn't mind doing sumo, so yeah, well, that's fine. Puma. Towards the end of <laughs> Towards the end of my sumo days, Puma, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Your turn. Alrighty. From Matt Bartholomew. Okay. This is a serious one. Mm -hmm. Who is a role model to you in powerlifting? Who is a role model to me in powerlifting? <sighs> That's hard. Um, there's a lot of people in powerlifting Australia who I admire for different things. Um, so, for instance, JP, my client, I admire him for his ethos as a coach and as an athlete because he's somebody who like sort of really lives the idea of you know looking after the people around him first, making sure that. You know, his clients and things have a good competition and then looking after himself and the fact that he does both so successfully shows that you can do both and he has a really good time doing it. So I look up to him for that. You know, I look up to people like Jamie Smith for his knowledge of anatomy and his ability to communicate it really well. I look up to Joey Zingini both as an athlete and as a bloke because he's someone who just has such a good time and he's so infectious to be around. I look up to Alex as a coach. I look up to people like Matt as well as athletes for again, just being so sort of dedicated and process oriented. So there's lots of people who I take little things from when I look at them and think that's really admirable. There's probably no one person where I'm like, that's my hero. I really want to emulate them. But there's a lot of people who embody a lot of things that I think are really valuable. And I do try and take that on when I look at them. So yeah, I don't know. So Alex? for you, it's more like a, 
for you it's more like a uh, role model as a coach rather than as a competitor yeah well I that's kind of how you see yourself more as a coach than an athlete yeah i don't think i like Single i don't medal think naturals I, baby what's that yeah exactly um, <laughs> wasn't even taking it seriously let's go <laughs> i tried really hard um no like i do see myself more as a coach than a competitor these days i like competing it's fun but i spend you know 30 hours a week involved in powerlifting coaching probably and i compete twice a year like they're very different things you know so yeah that yeah um cool on a similar note i got a question from yanni zhao so she's yan stacks she was on the podcast so shout out yanni um and she asked alex um who was your first ever powerlifting hero slash crush hero um Probably Pete Rubish. Yeah. Have you cut out? For like the intensity that he used to bring. No. I can hear you. Okay. Can you yeah, you're just fading in and out of um, yeah, yeah, the intensity. Probably Pete Rubish for his, the intensity that he used to bring to those um those uh, laundry room deadlift sessions that he used to do. And if anyone doesn't to know, come in. When he was yeah, if anyone doesn't know who Pete Rubish is, look up Pete Rubish um, basement or something. Yeah. It's like this compilation of all his best lifts in his basement. And he used to like shout people out of the top of his lifts and like just yell like too fucking easy and like shit like that. And that got me into like um, thinking about training intense intensity and training intensely. Um, yeah. Powerlifting crush. Um, God, I don't know. I don't know if I have one. Powerlifting crush. No, me either, to be honest. Mm. We'll put that one on the back burner. If you think of one during the episode, we'll come back and say it. Yeah, I don't think I have any. All right. Um, I mentioned JP earlier. So JP at Five Strong asks, I actually like this question. How did you use, how did you choose JP as a coach? Um, and who else had you considered and what factors came into play? Um, so I'd been with, yeah, so I'd been with, um, with Hanny initially and did a lot of RP, RPE stuff and a lot of DUP stuff, just all the acronyms. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I went on to training with Amir, which was a lot more intense, a lot more volume pushed me a lot more. Um, and I was kind of looking for a system that was like, um, I guess more conservative and knowing how JP did things, he did things a little bit more conservatively and um, a big focus on like weak point training and um, training variations for the main lifts that were like targeted to the individual's weak points. And I could see that in how he was coaching others. So that was something that I thought that I needed and I also wanted to learn like the way that his system works. So yeah, all of those reasons. So to other people who are actually looking to choose a coach, what are the things that you think are important? I think the most important thing, which I didn't even mention is um, the relationship between the coach and the client. Mm. So if, if the client, the coach can give you the best program in the world, but if you can't effectively communicate with them and you don't get along with them, you're not going to, you're not going to want to do it. You're not mm. going to be like, you're not going to give it everything. So I guess, that's another point to why I chose JP is that I knew JP quite well. And um, I knew that he had coached friends of his um, successfully in the past. So that wouldn't be an issue. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, other than the relationship, I guess 
Um, there's a whole ho- there's a whole host of reasons why you would choose a coach. Maybe you would choose a coach to learn their system. Maybe you would choose a coach because you already know their system and you agree with their system. Um, what do you think, Will? Well, I actually had a, an interesting discussion with Jason Clark. You know, Jason, New Zealander, coaches, done a couple of sessions at Lyft. Um, yeah. had an interesting discussion with him recently. And one of the big things he mentioned, which you alluded to, was buy-in. And I think, um, I think, like you said, if somebody gives you the best best program in the world and you don't believe in it and give it your all, you're still not, not going to get good. But if there's something about somebody that that one you believe will help you get from A to B. So whether it's belief in their system or belief in them as a person and having that strong relationship, I don't know what it has to be. But if there's something that makes you sort of just buy into the belief that they can help you, I think that's number one. And number two, um, which again relates to the relationship, I think is just sort of having some like congruence of values. And I think there's lots of coaches who do a really good job, um, but they go about it in different ways and it's got to just gel with the athlete. So like you mentioned, Matt, he asked me people I look up to in PA. So he's a very good coach. He's got a lot of athletes who do very well, but his manner as a person is very different from mine. I'm like, you know, I can be analytical and stuff, but I'm very laid back. I joke, like I take the piss and I say, you know, like there's more to life than powerlifting and things in training. And a lot of my clients like that because it makes them feel relaxed. Whereas Matt's very like, you know, 1% oriented, and training his business and things like that. And that gets the best out of a lot of people as well. And I think some of the athletes that resonate most with him would probably not appreciate my coaching. And likewise, there are probably people who go, well, fuck, you know, I feel like I'm fucking around half the time talking with Will. I want somebody who's sort of pedals to the metal with me and they would probably do much better training with Matt. And it's got nothing to do with our relative competence as coaches. It's just got to do with what's similar and different about us as people and whether that resonates with the needs of the athlete, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. Completely agree with you. There's going to be some athletes who do well with some coaches and do really badly with other coaches, and you know that's okay. Yeah, it's got nothing sometimes to do with the actual competence of the coach. It's literally just do you gel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. All right. Um, um, yeah, you're from Matt Tinson. Mm-hmm. Where is Tinson? Tinson. So Tino dot lifts. Tino dot lifts on Instagram. He says. What's his advice on staying positive and keeping on track while working through a shit injury? Okay. For context, um, Maddie just broke his femur. Uh, Sorry, his humerus. Femur. Oh, femur of the arm. (laughs) I believe we call that superior femur. Yeah. (laughs) He broke his uh, humerus bench pressing, like just clean in half, broke it. Nothing funny about that. And he's... and he's currently working on rehab. He's had his surgery and he's starting to get some movement back in his arm. What keeps you positive? So what's your advice? Yeah, what's your advice on staying positive? So Tino asks me this because I've had three surgeries, um, only one of which was during my powerlifting career. I had a proximal hamstring avulsion and didn't compete for a year. Um, there are a few things that made training still very enjoyable after that. Um, a couple that weren't really related to the injury. One was the people I chose to spend my training time with. So I elected to compete bench only at an international comp, which is pretty hilarious. Um, but it meant that I, <laughs> it meant that I got to go to the gym with Alex, our friend Doug and Jules and Eddie, um, three to five times a week in that time period while I was just doing my own thing. So even though that put me in the context of people who were doing something I'd have loved to do, it meant I spent time with my friends. And I got to sort of enjoy their progression and still feel involved in the community. 
So I think spending time with people that you like and staying involved in the community in some respect is very helpful, particularly where you can draw positive stuff from it. That's number one. Number two, I was able to work on things um, that were separate to my injury and enjoy it. So I spent a lot of time doing like upper body bodybuilding and stuff. You probably can't tell. <laughs> um, but I, I enjoyed that. I learned a lot and there was something value about, valuable about it. So I sort of embraced that experience. Um, and I really did actually enjoy doing the things that I did. Um, the third thing was that I was able to I was able to see and measure my progression in rehabbing my injury itself. And even though it was depressing to not be doing the things that I would have liked to have done, you know, like actually lifting heavy and hard, being able to track that progress and see like I was better than the week before um, and things like that was still enjoyable. And so if you sort of put all them together, it's like I'm training with people that I like, I'm still involved in the community doing things I enjoy. I'm seeing progress in things I'm able to train hard and I'm seeing progress in my rehabilitation from my injury and knowing that if I was patient, I might be able to get back to where I was before um, was really enjoyable. And then outside of the training sphere, there was that I had more in my life than powerlifting as well. So it wasn't like, you know, I lost a big part of what I considered my identity temporarily, but I still had, you know, friends and relationships and other hobbies and things like that too. So it's not, it's not really the end of the world to be hurt. It's just an inconvenience. Yeah. So you mentioned the staying in the community. Um, and this is something that, that Tins has done already is he ref the last competition at Top Lifter. Mm. He came down to nationals to watch everyone compete. Um, so he's very much doing a lot of things that you mentioned already. Yeah. I think you would get disillusioned far quicker by withdrawing yourself from, from the community because you thought it would upset you to be exposed to it than you would by staying involved and realizing there's a lot more to lifting than just lifting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. I have another question. Um, this one is a bit of a joke, I think. So Tim Hughes, whose Instagram is Timmy. Hue5, um, asks strict curl maxes. But then I wanted to have a discussion of how we would actually get better at strict curls. So what do you reckon you can strict curl? Um, well, I've tried, I've tried 60 kilos with no warm up and not got it, but pretty close, but pretty close. So I reckon like 55. You reckon strict curls are a lift that would benefit from like geeing up and ammonia or not? Mm, Surely not. Yes, but. Yes, I actually do think so, but mildly. <laughs> I reckon fuck that. It wouldn't help at all. It's too, like, <laughs> it's a single joint movement. There's no way. Um, okay, I don't know what mine is, but I reckon 50 or below. Um, like, as in, I do curls with 12 to 15 kilos for, like, 10 to 12, and it's really hard. So, <laughs> so not much. Um, how would you actually get a strict curl better? Like, would you do lots of biceps and then practice strict curl technique style? Would you do heavy strict curls? What do you reckon? You'd probably have to do like, you just train it like any other lift. You just prioritize it, do it multiple times a week, different variations. But and you obviously have to pra practice the competition technique. But do you reckon you some slow, get slow tempo strict curls? That's bullshit. I don't reckon you would get any. <laughs> I'm kidding. Because it's a, like basically a single joint movement, I don't reckon there would be much return on actually doing much peaking for it because like you wouldn't get that much neurological adaptation. 
there's only so much technique you can practice. Like you basically just have to get brutally strong. So I reckon you might do some like actually hard sets of like four to six on the strict curl and then just pump your arms up big time. Eh? Yeah, you'd, you'd have to, the main focus would have to be just growing your biceps. Fuck yeah. Okay, strict curls. I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> that's, that's my next powerlifting goal. All right, Alex, next question. All right, from Matt Cherry. Yep. Okay, I can already see. This is, this is, this is a two-parter. Yeah. Um, what are the lyrics to Burke's school song? Part two, if he remembers them, he has to sing them. Um, you know what's sad is I actually remember at least yes let's hear it Um, so I went to Shaw School in North Sydney and the motto oh what's up Chrissy Task is in the background Um, the motto I can't hear you because it's through my headphone but that's for the best say hi Um, the motto of Shaw School was Vita Lampada Traduant which means they hand on the torch of life Um, it's a metaphor and um and the school song went, here's to the shore boy who loves his school. Be scholar or dullard or wit or fool. If he never allows his love to call, try it lampada vitae. And here's to the shore boy who, here's to the shore boy who never says die, though his oar may be sprung or his bowling awry. If um, five lengths to make up or four goals to a try. Tried it, Lampada, Vitae. And then there's another verse. You are such a nerd. Yeah, well, I was a fucking prefect, man. I was, I should have got that shit. I was a prefect too, dude. Yeah, you would have been a shit one. I was the best. I was. You're a shit prefect. All right. So, we've got another question. (laughs) Anyway, there you go, Matt Cherry. You just got bonus me singing. Um, Next question. So, Jack Motivate... (laughs) <laughs> who sent in a few troll questions, asked Alex another question about the nature of coaching, which is, if you're such a good coach, why is my deadlift still bad? Well, there's a few reasons for this. One would be Jack's inability to follow instructions. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not me, it's you. Perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I can only say the same thing a million times. Yeah, but sure. also I coach, I coach Jack online and sometimes it's hard to, um, you know, like put someone in the position that you want them to be in when you're not actually there in front of them. So I bet you, Jack, if you did a couple of deadlift sessions with me in person, it would improve very quickly. So in the business, that's what we call an upsell. That's it. That's Alex just making a flat cash grab. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness though, like, Every lifter has one or two lifts that come quite naturally to them and one or two lifts that don't come so naturally to them. Some lifters, unfortunately, have three lifts that don't come naturally to them. <laughs> Shout such, out. such as Jack. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is... But no, his, his deadlift is actually like, by weight, his best lift when we, start, when we started. Yeah. And, um, but his technique was terrible. But just by the way that he was built, yeah. Um, big glutes, big back and long arms. Like he was just able to lift a lot. And we spent a lot of time like building from like 60% loads up mm. um, and working on his technique. And it's actually starting to pay off now. So I bet you you'll get a big deadlift for me this next comp, Jack. Well, that's the other thing is if you've developed so many strengths that sort of like almost paper over your glaring weaknesses, 
and you get away with it because you're competent when it comes in time to fill in those cracks it's like it'll take a while before it actually adds up because you've already gotten a lot of these yeah, that's right. returns you know yeah that's right all right your turn all right also also from jack mm-hmm. so the first question is how did it feel to come second by 50 kilos to matt b and i was like bro it's actually 73 kilos yeah peaceful so how did that feel it felt fucking awesome <laughs> no, one, no one cared that matt won sorry matt but like everyone knew he was going to win when he showed up no one gave a fuck when you took home the gold but when i came second that was huge to everybody that's like i don't know that's like the ultimate underdog story that's like cool runnings it was great thank you um, and jack's jack's second question can play guitar can play drums has a master's degree and deadlifts 290 plus, yet no girlfriend? There's no one good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because Mags asked later, I'll, I'll get to that, but Mags asked later about something about that. Oh, God. All right. Yeah, good chat. <laughs> That's funny. All right. One more question, and then we take a very quick break. Um, this question is from Jules Nanetti. And she. Spaghetti. Jill Spaghetti, she asked, would you rather be covered in scales or covered in fur? Fur. Fur? I reckon fur's better as well. It's like cuddly, you know? Yeah, like I've already got pretty furry legs, so it would just be like an extension of that, I guess. Yeah, and like when I think about it, most girls love dogs. Like I'm thinking purely from a picking up girls standpoint here. Girls love dogs. <laughs> Most girls don't Giant love dogs. Yeah, exactly. If you could just be a golden retriever, <laughs> girls would like you better. Right? <laughs> so definitely fur. That was the easiest question ever, Jules. All right. Quick break. We'll be right back. Weekly weights. All right. We're back on weekly weights. It's episode 65. It's the ask three anything Will and Alex. Alex is in Greece. Um, Alex, it's your turn to ask a question. All right. So I've got a lot from Jules. Okay. Pick a good one. I'll ask them all in a group. Because right. they're, they're, pretty, they're all pretty quick. Okay. Actually, except the last one. I'll save the last one for the end. All right, <laughs> first one. What, why are you so bad at benching? Um, it's hard. I'm not well built for it. I've got shoulders that hurt. That's it. Nice. Yeah. Um, why do you always take girls to sushi train on the first day? Good question. Couple of reasons. First day philosophy. If you don't enjoy the date, you should definitely enjoy the food. I love sushi. And second one is the squid ink defense. You can just soy sauce them in the face and run if you have to. Nice. Yeah. Next question. Good tactic. Um, how many times have you deleted and reinstalled Tinder? Probably three times in my life. I haven't had Tinder for way over a year. I don't believe you. That's the truth. And you should add a zero to that. Hmm? (laughs) (laughs) Can confirm not on Tinder. Haven't been in a very long time. All right. Um, Now, this is the... Actually, there's two that are actually like... I'll save them. Here you go. Oh, those ones weren't serious? No, go to the one. Those ones are trolling. Okay, one half good one. 
you had to choose a career completely unrelated to coaching, what would it be? I got this one from her as well. So we can just have this discussion. I don't know. And I actually wasn't intending on personal training after I finished uni. So I, I finished uni, I like quit all my jobs, um, gave my clients that wanted a PT to Alex and went traveling with the intention of like having an idea of a career that I wanted to do. And while I was away, all that ended up happening was people were writing to me, asking me to be involved in coaching related stuff and education stuff for PTs. And I was just spontaneously like reading literature and things about it. And so I was like, oh fuck, maybe I'll have a shake when I come home. Cause it's always something you can do for like two to five years and still go back to do something else if you get the urge. And since I've been back at it, I haven't really wanted to do anything else. But if I were to, I'd probably do something completely unrelated. I'd like, I could have seen myself, you know, studying law or working in a bank or something and finding something interesting about that. But I just honestly don't know because I've never seriously contemplated it. You? Um, well, my first ever job was coaching basketball. And then I've only ever worked in like fitness slash health. Like I worked reception in a basketball setting and reception at fitness first. Then I worked as a strength coach at a high school and then PT and then powerlifting coach. So like I haven't done anything that isn't outside of fitness. So for me, it would probably have to be something in fitness, whether it be like um, manage a gym or like work in some sport team as a manager or like something, executive, some shit like that. But then you'd have to do all the work leading up to that and probably wouldn't be willing to do that. <laughs> I couldn't see you managing a gym. It would be like, as in commercial gym, you, terrible. Oh no, it's very terrible. Yeah, but yeah, I honestly don't know because I haven't haven't ever done anything that's outside of this field. So interesting. Yeah, well, I'm gonna make my answer journalist. Yeah, I can see that. You you're good at writing. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to get a very very strong editor though because my articles are all too long. Um, but yeah. I would I would want to be a. NBA scout. Bus driver. <laughs> they like drive, like travel around the world and scout young kids to play in the NBA. Yeah, Matt. All right. <laughs> um, what was the other one? Okay. Jack Motivate asks another question. God. He says, how does it feel to not be able to hold 285? Well, at least I can actually get it to lock out Jack. I knew you were going to say that when I read the question, I knew that would be your response. So Alex, but it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. I think the worst, the reason I actually asked this is the worst way to miss a deadlift is definitely grip. hundred percent. Like if you're just plainly not strong enough and you shit the bed completely, that's like annoying, but you're like, Oh, well I wasn't strong enough. But if you literally can lift it with your legs and back and then just drop the bar, it's like you literally feel success slipping out of your fingers. It's the worst. Or or um, if you like lose your balance at the top and you've already locked it out and then it comes down. Yeah. That's, yeah. That sucks also. Yeah. But okay. yes, it's heartbreaking. All right, your question. All right. Um, I got a lot from JP. Yeah. Did you get a lot from JP? Um, a few. What was this one? Okay. I'll ask a few of the... Um, the uh, Easy ones. 
All right. Do you have a favorite client? Is it JP and why is it JP? <laughs> um, I don't have a favorite client. I love all my clients equally. I just love some more than others, of which JP is one. <laughs> um, I actually, like in all seriousness, there are like the clients that I most enjoy spending my time with are the ones that I most like to coach. But they, there's a, there's a number of them. Um, and mostly it's not necessarily because we're similar people. It's just because like I find, I find interacting with them engaging and I, you know, learn things about them and the way they think and stuff in being with them. So no, I don't have a favorite client. I just enjoy my time with most of my clients, pretty much all of them actually. It's back to what we were saying about coaching. If you don't enjoy your time together, almost certainly people aren't going to want to train with you. Yeah. So no, sorry. Um, Okay. Okay. What's your favorite meme Instagram account? my favorite meme instagram account there's a few i'll i do send a lot of memes to people one is clickhole so clickhole is like fake news and fake quotes attributed to celebrities and it's so stupid and so funny i like clickhole i like david eight hughes it's just stupid tweets from this guy and he's so prolific so it's like completely hit on this sometimes they're not funny at all and sometimes they're just hysterically funny so i really like that and on a powerlifting um, meme-related one, subpar powerlifting memes is pretty funny. Like, they're hit and miss as well. Some of theirs suck, but when they're funny, they're really funny. Um, what about you? Uh, definitely Frustrated Strength Coach. Yeah, Frustrated Strength Coach is good. Shout out Thomas Lilly. That's a classic. <laughs> yeah, shout out Thomas. All right. I have another question for you. This is again from Mags. I can't remember what it was, though. One second. Mag said, oh, wow, this is, this is really morbid. She said, if you had the choice of how you were going to die, what would you choose? Um, well, like peacefully in bed. <laughs> yep. That's pretty obvious. Yeah. Just from old age. That's kind of boring, but completely apt. Um, yeah, that's a completely reasonable, right? Yeah. I would like Certainly to, not like, okay, how about we flip it on its head? What, what do you think the worst way to die would be, Will? Um, I reckon worst way to die. You walk out of the bathroom with toilet paper stuck to your shoe, right? Everyone sees you and you have a boner. So <laughs> I don't know why I have a boner, but it's embarrassing. So you run away trip land on a spike over an ant's nest rescue crew comes to help you they spill honey on you the ants start eating you alive they go to burn the ants off accidentally light you on fire and you burn to death impaled on a stake with ants eating you alive with toilet paper stuck to your shoe and a boner that's the worst way to die You've definitely thought about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every night. You oh answered that really quickly. I was very, I'm very anxious. So I do contemplate like how things could so go. Every time you, every time you leave the bathroom, you make sure your bone is gone. <laughs> yeah. and you check your feet, you check your feet to see if there's any toilet paper. And then you check if there's any spikes floating around that you could fall on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I walk around in a safety helmet, man. I'm not taking any chances. All right. 
<laughs> Next question. Um, I think the worst way to die would be, I was going to say burn alive or eaten by rats. Pretty much covered both of them in one. But yeah, that, I was like, ah, you're killing my, <laughs> killing my vibe here. Yeah, no, I got you easily. Be more creative, right, man. My, There's lots of bad ways. My turn. Thing. All right. All right. Uh, from Yanni, Yarn Stacks. Mm-hmm. When will you be offering pool cleaning services? <laughs> so Yanni has seen my multiple Instagrams of me in budgie smugglers, including one where I was cleaning the pool, um, looking very suave. Not soon. I think we've spoken about how when PTs sort of like uh, on their last legs, they start being an Uber driver. I reckon in summer, being a pool cleaner would actually be a good side gig for a PT because you could PT till like 10 or 11 a.m do some pool cleaning from like one till three, make bank, but not anytime soon, I think. Um, maybe maybe next summer. You, Alex, you ever going to be a pool cleaner? Wear a rash vest? Ne- I Never. I can't go in the sun for that long. <laughs> Imagine you with like your full Legionnaire's cap, zinc on your nose, <laughs> rash, like long sleeve rash vest. That's not the kind of pool cleaner people are after. No, well, certainly not Yanni. That's funny. Um, all right. Oh, and Yanni, Yanni also says, what's the square root of negative 100? Fuck, that's hard. Is, that's a non-real number, I think. I'm not 100%, but because negative 10 squared is 100. Hmm? No, because negative 10 times negative 10 is 100. So I think, that, I think that's a non-real number, but I actually don't know for certain. You look confused. I'm confused. Okay, well, negative two times two is negative four. Negative two times negative two is positive four. Ah, true. Yeah, so I don't think you can get a square root of a negative number, but I don't know. Um, I haven't done maths since year 10, dude. This is fucked. (laughs) Um, On maths, you're so fucked. Matt Bartholomew asks, what would MCMXXV, you got to explain what that is, what would that be? 1925. Hmm? It's 1925. Yeah, but you have to explain what, what that means. Um, what would that be now with the three most recent totals? Oh, God, I'd have to Google it. Okay, so... So MCMXSV is a tattoo that we, me, Matt, and Aiden Potts have on our legs. And it's the combined totals that we achieved when we were in Singapore um, for Oceania Championships in 2017. Um, hang on, I'll Google it now because I have internet. What, you know what the combined totals now are? Well, I can do the maths. See, I wouldn't even remember my own total, let alone the total. Well, I coach, people. I coach Aiden. Yeah. And you train with Matt. I just saw Matt compete and he beat you by 73 kilos. So that was easy. <laughs> yeah, it was easy for him. Definitely. <laughs> uh, okay. The MMLXI. MMLXI. That would kind of look shit as a tattoo. Don't get that one. You got to get that L into something better or worse. Like get it down to an X again. That'd be all right. (laughs) All right. Your turn. Um, All right. From Jose PT 175. Okay. After the fix your bench episode, I noticed there are virtually no bench videos. Do you feel insecure? (laughs) Honestly, yes. I don't like <laughs> I don't like um, I post my bench on my story a reasonable amount, but I find bench really boring to watch 
I think squat and deadlift are more enjoyable to watch. This probably says something about my attitude to the lift. I find it very boring to watch and I try not to post training updates unless I have useful information to share or it's actually somewhat impressive. Um, and the reason I post videos on my story more often, it's actually an account an accountability thing. So when I'm training, particularly when I'm like feeling a bit CBF or I just don't think I'm training well, I actually make the commitment. I'm just going to post my next set on my story and film it. And then that way I can sort of like ensure effort because I feel like embarrassed to put up things where I'm not lifting at least competently. So, but yeah, I don't post my bench on my, on my feed unless like I do something I'm proud of or have actually got information to share. And I'm proud of something I've done benching for a while. So yes, me got me on one. Yeah. Smash me. All right. Um, Okay, I got a good one. This is from Arish Zaveri. So double A-R-I-S-H-Z-A-V-E-R-I. And they ask, would you rather stop coaching or stop lifting but still coach? So you can only do one. Stop lifting. You'd rather definitely. be a coach? Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess you'd be careerless if you couldn't coach. Well, yeah, that's the first thing. But also like when we do a comp for instance and don't train for a few days, it's like, it's not like anything in life changes. It's just, you're not training, you're not competing. I could easily pick up another hobby mm-hmm. and continue coaching. Yeah. I tend to agree. Like, and I think long-term I'll probably be coaching after I stop competing in powerlifting. I tend to agree, but there's something about the ritual of going to the gym and training that I really enjoy. Like, uh, you know, I could coach and not do powerlifting myself and still go to the gym and just do bodybuilding with my mates and things and be fulfilled. But I think if I could never lift weights again, I'd be really disappointed. So Yeah, that's true. But um, I guess you could just start playing rugby again or something. Yeah, I'd be trash at rugby now. Super slow, no lateral movement, knees both hurt, too small. I need to get fat again. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Mitch Ronan's eyes probably just lit up hearing that. All right, <clears throat> your turn. All right. Um, okay, so this is from Mags. She asked a few. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll ask you two of them. Okay. Actually, I'll ask you three of them because one of them is a hilarious story. Okay. But you, you can feel free not to tell the story if you don't want to. Okay. I'll let you use your editorial judgment to determine whether I should tell it. Where is the strangest place you've urinated? Where is the strangest place I've urinated? <laughs> Come on, tell the story. Do you know? Oh, <laughs> did you tell her? <laughs> no, I didn't tell her. Seriously? Yeah, no, I definitely didn't tell her. And she just figured this out herself? No, no, no she didn't figure it out. It's just a question she asked. <laughs> That's so funny as a coincidence. Okay, I can't believe I'm divulging this. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> Okay, so everybody put yourselves in my head. I have had a very long few weeks of training, coaching, work in general. Very tired. And I finished my final clients on Friday and I had to quickly train myself before knocking off some other commitments. And so I smashed an energy drink and I was responding to my last few client messages and videos on Facebook and I had a bit of a cold and I thought... I've got to blow my nose, do a 
urination, pee, <laughs> I've got to pee and get training. So I finish the drink, run into the bathroom to pee and blow my nose while I'm still finishing these messages and I'm cutting a slash and I like 10, 15 seconds in, I just come back to reality and I'm standing there peeing into the paper towel bin in the gym, just where I had obviously intended to blow my nose. So I've just been peeing into a bin and Honestly, I was so off with the pixies that had somebody walked into the gym at the time that I was peeing into a bin, I would not have even registered. Like I would have probably said g'day and continued to pee in the bin because I just didn't know what I was doing. And so I was mortified. (laughs) So I had to cut it off, run to a urinal, finish the job. And then I had to go through all this rigmarole of trying to conceal that I'd peed in a bin until the bins were due to be emptied by the cleaners about an hour later by like putting lots of paper towels in it and making sure it didn't smell. And it was really awkward. So that's the weirdest place I've urinated. I've got a question. Did you actually, sorry, did you also throw the energy drink in the toilet? Like, did you get the no, mixed no, up? I finished that. I finished that before I went in. Cause I was, I was messaging, responding to clients while peeing in the bin on my phone. If that makes sense. So I was completely off with the pixies. Amazing. Amazing. Anyway, that's the weirdest. All right. I'll ask one more from Mags and then you can go. Yeah. If you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? Fuck, that's a really good question. If I was arrested with no explanation, what would... I honestly don't know. I like, I don't know. I reckon my mum would think it was a mistake straight away. Because she probably just thinks I'm a good boy. Um, obviously doesn't know me. What, do you, what would you think I was arrested for if you just heard I'd been arrested? Well, so after was hearing that story, after hearing that story, probably public urination. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Probably something stupid. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I can't think. Don't know. Maybe speeding. And I'm a pretty slow yeah? driver. Yeah. You're a, very slow, you're a very slow driver. Yeah, they probably wouldn't think that. I don't know. I don't know, probably, I don't know, probably public nuisance. Yeah. <laughs> public nuisance. Arrested for, arrested for telling too many dad jokes. Yeah, maybe that. All right, all right, all right. So what was this next question? Okay. Um, I got a couple of stupid ones from Matt Cherry, but he, he asked, where does, and then just wrote a few different names, get their trend asking for a mate? And so what I actually wanted to ask you instead was about fake natties in general. So people who use steroids, but pretend that they're natural. First things first, you like calling people out on the podcast. Who's the biggest fake natty that you can think of? And secondly, like, what are your feelings about people who lie about their steroid use? The biggest fake natty is definitely Michael Hearn. Oh, that's right. Didn't he, didn't he say worst. that duck eggs, didn't he say he was eating duck eggs because they were extra anabolic? He tried to, he tries to sell a whole bunch of shit. Right. That's funny. That guy's a, that guy's a fucking idiot. Wow. Cool. Um, All right. Uh, fake natties. The only time I have a problem with it. Yeah. Is if someone's trying to sell something. Yeah. Such as Michael Hearn or someone is like taking a, championship or title away from someone who's actually competing honestly in a tested federation. So that, that tended to be my thoughts. 
But um, but don't you think there's something morally wrong about pretending to people, like even if you're not selling anything, even if you're just someone who is the idol of other people, do you think there's something morally wrong with selling the idea that what you're doing is attainable and just done through hard work and stuff and, you know, the blessing of genetics and not using drugs? I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah, I do, but I don't think it's like a real, real problem until the two things that I mentioned. I like think if you're, if you're competing, if you're competing tested mm-hmm. and you're using drugs. Yeah. Like, fuck you. That's the worst. Agreed. And if it's probably even worse, if you're trying to sell someone something that didn't get you those results and lying about the things that did get you results. I agree. So like someone like, I don't know. I can't think of a good example, but like a lot of bodybuilders on Instagram who use gear mm-hmm. and push supplements. So like they'll push this fat burner that they probably don't even use when they're using Clen and Anaba. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely wrong. The reason I think it's a moral gray area um, when, when you're not selling people things is because on the one hand, like people might throw themselves into the process of, doing all the things that you say you did to get your results other than drugs to look like you and waste time and effort and things and be ultimately disillusioned. But on the other hand, um, a lot of those people who are on the borderline where like you look at them in and like they may be using drugs, but it's possible that with the absolute best of genetics and hard work and things that maybe people could actually look like them. A lot of like a lot of people who actually got there would never get there if they didn't believe it was possible naturally and really, really try in the first place. You know what I mean? So it's almost like, like you sell people a false dream, but they almost need that false dream to get started because otherwise it would just be so daunting thinking you were never going to be much good. Um, yeah. Like I still tend to think that lying to people is bad. So I'm not excusing it. I think lying is generally wrong, but I'm not sure that it's as wrong. Like you said, until you sell things, I think it's more just like a personal choice not to divulge it. Yeah, but yeah, that's right. If, if you are like openly expressing natural athlete, um, natural, 100% natural, lifetime natural, that kind of shit that you see on people's Instagram bios mm-hmm. and and you're lying about it, then that's terrible. But if you don't mention it at all and you leave it up to the person who's looking at you to decide, then that's, I think that's okay. Yeah. So long as you're not, so long as you're not selling anything or so long as you're not competing against natural people. Yeah. Okay. Extension of that question. What about people who like, I know there's a complete moral, there's a completely different ends of the moral spectrum. What about people who are like, I use steroids, but I'm vegan. What do you mean? So there are people, there are people who say I'm vegan for my health, but I use anabolic steroids. What do you think about that? Yeah. Like professional strong men professional strong it's just like yeah there's a couple of professional strongmen who are um vegan i find that so absurd if you're vegan from a moral standpoint moral standpoint veganism defensible like you know whether or not it's actually the ultimately strong moral case don't know but like it's at the very least arguably strong from a health standpoint maybe not the best thing in the world in fact almost certainly not and from an athletic standpoint almost certainly not but the, I find it so funny when people are like, when people say I'm going to be my health and then go and pump themselves heaps full of gear 
which they know will have long-term detrimental effects on their health, you know. So like, how, back on that strong man, how do you get big enough eating vegan? Oh, it's fucked. I don't eat enough calories. I don't know. I'm like, if you were, how, like, how big a good strong man? 180 kilos? Yeah, have thoughts like 200 and Brian Shaw's like 200, but they're bigger than the rest. Right. So, so let's yeah, say minimum. let's say they're having three fifty to four hundred grams a day of protein. How the fuck do you do that without eating any animal sources? Like I'm a dietitian. If somebody said have some soy protein, like four hundred grams of soy protein a day, I'd laugh at them. You know, or tofu? No, thank you. Like, just, yeah, it's absolutely absurd. I guess if you eat that much, getting the actual amino acid. Um, composition so that you had like complete amino acid profile in your diet would be extremely easy. Um, but all the anti-nutrients and things you have from just having all the plants would be bad for you as well. Well, not bad for you, but like bad for your absorption and surely you just have gas all day. Basically, if you're going to be 400, not 400, if you're going to be 200 kilos, do the vertical diet. That's what I think. No, no vegetables, no veggies. Oh no. Orange veggies twice a day and cranberry juice. Is that what it is? Some shit like that. I don't know. I don't really know. One of my clients has the ebook. I haven't read it. <coughs> All right, your turn. All right, let's have a look. What have we got left? All right, from Matt Bartholomew, what would be the next sport you would choose if powerlifting didn't exist? Um, possibly strongman. Um, I actually reckon doing strongman competition would be really good fun. Um, you would be good at strongman. Well, Except not the overhead stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be terrible at that. But, um, but strongman would be fun. Um, the thing that I don't like about strongman, and this is also one of the things that is cool about it, the thing I don't like about strongman is that as a sport, it's really ill-defined. Like rugby players know they turn up on a pitch of X dimensions, play 80 minutes of footy, and like there's X number of people on the opposing team and certain things are in and out, and so you play rugby. And like powerlifters know they're going to perform X and Y lifts under X and Y conditions. And that's powerlifting strongman. Certain like certain events will cater much more strongly to people of certain skill sets than others. And so it's like a sport about sort of turning up and doing whatever challenges are there on the day. And although that's like satisfying and fun and means you have to be rounded and well-developed and adaptable and things, there's also something a bit annoying about, not necessarily being able to like absolutely tailor your abilities to a given set of demands. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think they get told like a few weeks out what the events are. I think with the bigger like, ones, they know for longer. Um, but I don't know if it's much longer than three weeks. I think it might be more like eight or 10 or something for like the Arnold's. But I'm yeah. Not, yeah. What about you? What would yeah, you do? But, oh, I play basketball. Definitely. Yeah. Boring. You've already done that. That's like me saying I'd go back to footy. Do it then. No, fuck that. <laughs> Strong math. <laughs> um, if I had to do something that wasn't something that I've already done, mm-hmm. um, I've played all the sports that I like except for rugby league because I've never had a, I never had a chance growing up to play rugby league unless I played club, but I was playing club basketball, so I didn't have the time. So yeah. I would play rugby league. You'd get concussed so quickly. You'd be out of that game within six weeks. I know. Well, for the listeners who don't know this, I've had to, I actually had to stop playing basketball two years ago mm-hmm. because I've had too many concussions. 
I've had nine concussions. That's pretty bad. Which is bad. Um, but yeah, I like rugby league. You used to be so smart. Now you just sit on the other end of the camera, dribbling out of one side of your mouth, eyes glazed over, waiting for me to stop talking. <laughs> All right. Waiting forever for you to stop talking. Yeah. All right. I got another, another question. Alex, plug your business. Matt Cherry says, what is the process powerlifting? Isn't it just a tape version of barbell medicine? It's more like a tape version of the strength athlete, actually. Okay, so explain what explain what it is to the people. So it's just an online uh, coaching service with a group of coaches who are basically trying to provide all-inclusive coaching over the internet to people all around the world. And who's on board? So it's myself, Aiden Potts, Brandon Tan, and Nick Walt. Cool. All right. Next question. That was boring. I'm going to ask another one. Next question is from Jamie Smith, j.smith.culture, who asks, I want to get the wording exactly right. When you were coaching Chrissy, who wore the pants on and off the platform? Uh, good question. What does he mean? He He's means- the alpha. Yeah, exactly. Who's in charge at home? Who tells who what to do? Uh, at home, Chris is in charge. Absolutely. The order at home. The order at home goes Chrissy Ace me. Yes, agree. Um, in the gym, I was still in charge, but as we got together, she had, or well, she liked to think she had a little bit more say. Yep. I would say in Chrissy and my coaching relationship, she is definitely in charge. She tells me when she's ready to do her sets. She tells me when I'm allowed to talk to her. Tells me exactly what she wants. Oh, yeah, to. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she is very, very in charge and I'm just along for the ride. Um, but at home, Chrissy absolutely wears the pants. She is 100%. She is large and in charge and Alex just does what he's told because he's a smart man. I'm a dunce. <laughs> no, you're like my dad. My dad's got it figured out. Mum, Mum is absolutely in charge around... The house, she rules the roost. Whenever she wants something, it gets done. She gets angry. Dad does what she says. But when you know, when Dad really chooses to put his foot down over something, he gets it because he plays his he plays his cards right. You know, he's the master. Yeah, he hangs on to his aces. Yeah, yeah, and he plays them when he needs them. All right, you got what any more? What a stud! Yeah, it's the king. Yes. So I'll I will also ask you what Jamie asked me of you. Okay. So j.smith.culture, what is the origin of the girth? <laughs> you didn't want to edit that one out of all your questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's got to do. No comment. Yeah, that's got to do with my penis. Let's move on. All right, next one. I've got another one. I've got another one about your penis. <clears throat> oh wow, perfect. Go on. All right. Putting all recent studies and analysis in strength and conditioning aside, what is your opinion in the following? What's longer, Will, your dick or your nose? (laughs) Um, Longer? Nose. Thicker? Still nose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. That was from Matt Cherry. Oh, I actually thought that was just Jamie roasting me again. 
Okay, that's funny. Okay, more. Another good one. Oh, I've got one more from Jules. Yeah. What's your most treasured memory? It's my most treasured memory. I don't know. Uh, that sounds sad. Um, I don't know. I think the what's my most treasured memory? I think that question, like as in the answer to that question would depend on the context in which I was asked it and the mood I was in. Cause there's lots of things that like I think about really proudly or wistfully or fondly, but, but it's hard to say which, like what evokes the strongest feeling in me. It just depends on the, like depends on the context in which I'm asked. So if I think of like, you know, things like say my childhood or like my relationship with my dad, I have really fond memories of, you know, certain times when we went fishing together or really fond memories of going to holidays when I was a kid and we used to like hire paddle boards and all the kids would cling onto the paddleboard and we'd play this game. He called it earthquake 3000 where he'd basically just turn the board over and over again and whoever could hold on for the longest one and things like that are like really fond memories for me. But if you ask me on like on another occasion, I might say something about, you know, playing sport or, you know, playing music or things like that as well. It really just depends on how I'm feeling. I don't know. What about you? Yeah. I've got some, some really fond memories like with my parents, my sisters and um, with Chrissy as well. Mm. But then also like different ones playing sport, different powerlifting ones, some with coaching. Be hard to say like which one would be the fondest. So I guess it depends on, yeah, like you said, the mood that I'm in and the, like, the, the direction that the question is coming from. What's your fondest memory yeah, of got- Chrissy? Um, I don't know. Wow. Fondest? Okay. I, I'm not sure. She's there, isn't I'm she? Say sure. every day is a blessing. She can't hear me because I'm she's, here. She's, she's not here. Okay, good. She went to go get coffee. All right. Lucky you. All right, I got another question for you. I like this one. This is again, this is Jack Motivate again. He says, if Burke coaches five strong and five strong coaches you, doesn't that make Burke your grand coach? What do you think? Interesting concept. <laughs> doesn't pan out. <laughs> well, then when I start coaching you again, yeah, that makes me JP's grand coach. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Kind of. I mean, I've been stealing and your then... programming for ages. I just get Brandon to lend me his <laughs> every time I'm in the gym and right. <laughs> Piece of cake. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. All right. Do you have any more? Uh, I'm down to just super troll questions. So if you want to finish on one more dumb question, then yeah, we can leave it there. All right. All right. I think I've already asked all the dumb ones. Well, have you got any good ones? I've got a few from JP, powerlifting ones. Yeah, well, why don't we ask some powerlifting ones? It is allegedly a powerlifting podcast. True. Oh, actually, sorry. I've got one from Ophir. Do you know Ophir? Uh, I don't think so. What's the Instagram handle? Uh, it's just his first name and last name. Ophir, O-F-I-R. I don't know how to spell his, uh, pronounce his last name. No, I don't. Okay, go Erinbaum, on. Erinbaum, I 
think it is. Anyway, he no. said, should PA lifters allow members, sorry, should PA allow members to compete in pro role because it's not officially a fair? I think so. But I think so purely not from like a, a particular like moral or logistical standpoint. I just think so because I'm a powerlifting fan and I would prefer to see the best lifters always live together whenever possible. I understand that um, politics and in some respects, the fight against drugs in sport might make things like that sometimes difficult, but I don't see why letting lifters do a one-off unsanctioned meet when they're still subject to out of competition testing would at all be problematic. Um, and I don't think it does anything to tarnish powerlifting Australia's name either. So personally, yes, I think they should. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. But I also think that we should be allowed to compete anywhere we want to outside of PA, so long as we're still subject to our competition testing. Um, and then again, in competition testing. Yeah, I again, I personally think that's fine. I appreciate that having like that restricting people's ability to go to other federations that are in opposition to powerlifting Australia. So like restricting our ability to compete in the IPF would be advantageous to world powerlifting's advancement because then it reduces the lifter pool of the IPF while increasing world powerlifting's one. I don't actually think we're technically restricted from competing in the IPF if we want to, though I'm not certain if that's the case. Is that the case? I don't know. Um, I'm not certain. That was actually part of the that was part of the political question when um, when New Zealand powerlifting were considering whether or not to join World Powerlifting. That was put up was um, was I think his name is Steve Two. Is that correct? Um, Steve Lush. Steve Lush. Lush had um, had said that World Powerlifting would allow people to continue to compete in the IPF if they wanted to. I think in the case of the Nauruans, that has happened. Um, but then there were other people saying that that wasn't the case and that the IPF would restrict people from world powerlifting coming. So whether or not that's even possible, I don't know. In short, I think basically politics that prevents people competing wherever they want to is bad, though I can understand why the stakeholders would want to do it. Yeah. Anything to add? No. All right. One last Fun question. Um, we'll go. We'll go. I got a question from JP. Okay, silly question from JP. Before we we get his powerlifting ones out of the way, he said, "Would you rather total a thousand kilograms raw um, and drug free, or have one mediocre season in the NBA?" Oh, that's a tough one for you, isn't it? Well, like, what's mediocre? Like, average? Or below uh, I mean, that tends to be the definition of mediocre is unremarkable. Unremarkable. Say, say you got a bit of game time, like you played, but you weren't a starter. You weren't particularly good. You were nothing like an all-star. Your team didn't make the finals. You just like, you could just say I played in the NBA and five years later, most people wouldn't know who you were. I'd go with NBA. Why? I think it would be just a much, it's just such a bigger spectacle and it's just a such a more competitive like league and sport and there'd be more money, a bit more lucrative. It would just be like a more exciting thing to do than do a powerlifting comp and lift really heavy. So say you, you go in the NBA, you play for one year, you make heaps of money. 
right? And then, uh, like, because even if you're uh, if you're just some player in the NBA, you're still making millions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like that's pretty awesome. Um, and you would get for that one year or however long your contract was there, but it's one season. You get to travel the country. You spend time with the boys. You're some type of a minor celebrity. You get all the trappings of being a professional athlete. Like, seems like fun. Lots of lots of lived experience. It's cool, right? But then afterwards, that ends, and no one gives a shit who you are, and you don't really have any great identity. The alternative, if you total a thousand kilos, raw and drug free, is that not many people are going to know who you are. But within a certain community, you're an absolute legend. Your name would be revered. You'd be somebody, you know, somebody who like for however long people are lifting weights down the track, people would still know who Alex Hayes, who totaled a thousand kilos raw and drug free was right. But you're choosing to do that within a very small group. And when you chose to stop lifting, you would still have that group around who cared who you were. So you don't think that makes a case for maybe doing that? No, because I think the actual experience of playing in the NBA for one season would be better. And, like, the way I don't view myself as ever going to be, like, one of the greatest lifters of all time. That's yeah, not really something that I... True. But it's it's not really something that I... But that's the thing, though. Like, I've seen people who are some of the greatest, people, greatest powerlifters in the world and only powerlifters care about them. Yeah, that's what I just said. So, well, it's, the thing is, like, it's not, it's not, like, the biggest deal. But even among Whereas NBA like, fans, for, for me, but for me, but no, but for me as a person, mm. I think it's much more lucrative and like it's more of a dream to me playing the NBA than it would be to total a thousand kilos. Let me play reverse devil's advocate then. So you total a thousand kilos. That's something that you're dedicating blood, sweat, tears, and years and years and years of hard work to. Possibly not experiencing much else in your life other than the struggle to be the best ever powerlifter by a long way ever, right? Um, but you, so you have this deep but narrow involvement in one thing, right? Which is powerlifting. And like I said, that's reflected in the fact that you're a legend forever. You spend one year being a fringe basketball player, make lots of money, have all this amazing experience. Then you've got a whole life to live outside of it. And you've had that amazing experience. So it frees up a lot of your life to do other things and gives you a, a huge kickstart to do it. So that's also pretty cool. So what's your question? Oh, no, I'm playing reverse devil's advocate. Have I, changed your, have I changed your mind? No, I wanted to be an NBA player from the start. I was just trying to make you explain why you felt that way. Yeah. <laughs> You're so good. There you go. All right. Let's get some powerlifting <laughs> questions from JP. Get some actual value. All right. All right. JP asks, what's the best replacement for pin squats? What's the best replacement for pin squats? Um, it depends. Um, partly it depends on what you are using pin squats for. And then if you're replacing them, okay, long answer. So purpose and then phasic considerations. So what you're using pin squats for a couple of things. I really like pin squats for one is actually teaching the correct descent pattern. And the reason is you hit the pins and then when you go to reverse, if your positioning has been incorrect on the descent, provided that you actually held tension on the pins, you feel it really badly. You get immediate feedback, oh, I fucked this up. And that feedback is useful because then it tells you I've got to change my descent strategy or change my bracing and ascent strategy. Um, 
pause squats can do a really good job of the same thing. So um, for that purpose, pause squats can be a really good one. Um, likewise, safety bar squats can do a really good job of the same thing. So possibly safety bar squats. Um, for certain people, even a either tempo descent squat or a box squat can be really good replacements for the same thing. It just depends in like what avenue you are trying to use to teach people this correct descending pattern. And does that correct descending pattern then give them feedback um, like when they go for an ascending pattern that it was done better? So that's one, that's one answer. So my immediate thought is probably a paused squat. Um, yeah, probably a paused squat for just that. The, um, but yeah, like I said, tempos, boxes, and safety bars to a degree are the same. The next, the next part of my answer is where does it sit in your phasic structure? So, um, so if you're using a pin squat in like a general strength phase, then any of those replacements I just said could work perfectly. But if you're saying I've been doing pin squats for a while and I'm going to change them out for something else, then that means that somewhere within your, like somewhere later in your phasic sequence, you need something else. And typically in your sequence, you want to move from less specific to more specific. And so I think a pause squat would be more specific than a safety, I'm sorry, than a pin squat. Um, and it's also more specific than the alternatives we use. And the reason I think pause squats might be a better thing to move towards after using pin squats are the same as the reason that Alex gave when we spoke about peaking there at one stage, um, which was that pause squats, your descent pattern has to be the same as your normal squat and your descent speed has to be the same. Whereas a pin squat, normally you descend slower than your normal squats. You don't hit the hole hard. Um, but the pause squat still gives you that feedback about positioning. So if you went something like a pin squat where you had to be deliberate to the pins, then you get that strong feedback. Then you went pause squat. So you still had to maintain that descent pattern and then got feedback. Did I descend correctly? Did I pause in the right place when you went standing up? And then into your competition squats, I think that would be a really good sequence. Whereas if you went pin squat into like safety bar squat into competition squat, I don't think you would get that same transfer because you go like not specific also pretty not specific straight back to specific and you don't get that intermediate step. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Is that, is that, that is a good driving with you? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely entirely. But to be honest, like I would follow the path that you use to replace pin squats before I even considered pin squats. Cause I don't really use them, but that is the exact same rationale that I would give for, those specific reasons that you would use pin squats for? If I had a setup, so where we work at Lift Performance Center, there's one squat rack where we can do pin squats. And so it's a Unless bit- you got short people. Yeah. Um, it's a real pain in the ass to actually do them. If I could do them more often, I would give them to more people. But the fact that I can't prescribe them and ensure that they're done by most people means I tend not to prescribe them and go with those other things. So, but I think that, I think they can be really useful. If I could do them myself more often, I probably would, but it's just an aspect. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Powerlifting related. Um, okay. When should conventional deadlifter consider trialing sumo? Um, I think, so again, aptitude and phasing. 
So there's two aspects to this answer as well. And JP actually answered himself on the podcast. So when should a sumo, um, when should a conventional deadlifter try sumo? One reason might be just that you, the coach or they, the lifter had some sense that they would be more apt for sumo deadlifts. And although JP on the podcast said that your build isn't necessarily a giveaway, which is true for certain people, you can just see that getting into a conventional position is uncomfortable, but they can actually say squat upright really well. Um, and when I see people who like, yeah, squat upright comfortably, but can't get into a conventional deadlift position well, often that tells me they suck at hip hinging generally, but also it tells me that they might be comfortable in a sumo position. So I might try it then. And likewise, certain, yeah, certain build types, I look at them and I just think, oh, you might be more comfortable there, particularly if they, I know they've got hip, good hip mobility. So if I see that aptitude and conventional isn't really working for them, um, and they're inclined to try it, and they have access to coaching to actually teach them to do it. So those are a few things. Then that would be a, um, that would be a time that I would think it. Um, <clears throat> or and the other one being just if they were playing around with sumo and said it felt comfortable and they demonstrated some aptitude for it. So JP himself like started sumo and not long after pulled some massive PB. <laughs> it felt super easy when I did that. So I think. I think a mixture of conventional not being comfortable, demonstrating or you suspecting they will have some aptitude for sumo um, and that aptitude being demonstrated is a good reason. And then the other consideration is when within a phasic plan should you try it? Most ideally, you introduce new movements a long way from competition because you don't want somebody to be learning how to sumo deadlift like three weeks before they have to do it at comp. So most ideally, you introduce sumo a long way from competition. So then it gives you time to actually experiment and see, does it help? Does it not help? Does it just help my conventional even? Like you can find that out then with no pressure to perform. But, um, but in some instances, people have had to swap to sumo, you know, late in competition preps for one reason or another and found that they did perfectly fine doing it because the conventional helped develop their sumo. That's fine too. But most ideally, further from comp, so there's no immediate pressure to perform. What do you think, Alex? Um, I think in the like developmental stages of someone's lifting at mm -hmm. the early, early stages, probably the first year of barbell training should do only conventional because yep. I think it, um, builds, it builds the musculature better and it, t it helps with the sumo it carries over to the sumo better than in the other direction. So if that ends up being the, if either stance ends up being their stance, conventional gives a better base for either stance. Yeah. So I think in the yeah in, in about the first year um, should be only conventional. And then after that, you can kind of experiment with sumo with someone who's still relatively new to lifting and just see how they go. You might just give them a chance to do one or one, once a week sumo, once a week conventional just for, for an eight-week period and see how, how their sumo is going. Mm -hmm. um, but I think like you said, I can often tell by the way someone squats whether they're going to be um, a candidate for deadlifting sumo like if i took randy for example oh, um he squats yeah. quite wide and very upright and his hips move extremely well like his hips just glide down and up there's no instability it's just like really good mobility in his hips as well um and then the way that he deadlifted he's deadlifting with his knees quite forward he's actually quite upright on his deadlift and i immediately was like okay you need to pull sumo at your next comp and you know we worked on it, we worked on it and yeah it was considerably better in only like an eight week period. Yeah. So I think you can, I think you can just tell kind of by intuition by seeing enough people lift 
when you see someone squat in a competition, you can pretty much, well, I can pretty much 80% of the time tell you whether they're going to pull conventional or super. So what's interesting is when I spoke to JP, this was while you were away last time, he, I asked that. I said, do you reckon you look at people squatting and you can tell whether they can pull sumo or ought to pull sumo? And he said he reckons there's absolutely no correlation at all. And to some degree, I agree because I've seen people who squat narrow, upright, and then they sumo really well. And I go, oh, it's because they like an upright torso position. Then you see someone like Lane Norton squats pretty wide, bent over his shit, looks gross, and then he pulls sumo, right? And then you see them and the first thing I think is, oh, well, it's because his stance is wide when he squats, he's comfortable in a wide stance, but his torso angle's not that similar. You know, like it's really hard for me to look and necessarily tell but there's some, I just in my prior answer, I said when I see people who like upright torso positions but don't like bent over torso positions, that would be an indication that I might try sumo and that has so far held true. But I'm not certain that it's actually a catch all. You're just nodding. Do you actually have any thoughts on that? I don't have any extra thoughts. Okay. Well, then when you see people and you can guess how they're going to deadlift, how is it? Well, I, I don't know. It's, kind of, it's like an intuition thing. It's kind of hard to explain. So Intuition, (coughs) the author of a book I want to call Blink, said that intuition is basically just recognition. Um, And the reason that we can trust expert intuition or we can trust expert intuition in situations where, um, where there are like predictable environmental determinants for an outcome. And so there's an opportunity for recognition and things to either be correct or incorrect and then to get feedback about whether their intuitions are good. So the classic example is like firefighters who just know they have to get out of a building before the floor collapses beneath them. So there is something that you can't articulate that you're recognizing that tells you that somebody can pull sumo and more often than not, you're right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you have an intuition, but you just don't know what it is. Exactly. We'll figure it out, bro. And, and I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you next week. All right. Next question. Do you have another one? Um, yeah. Would you prefer to total 700 via 251.82.70 or 230.130.330? Was this JP? Yep. Actually, his maths is off. I know. I was going to say, that's 690. That second one is 690. That was a trick. Yeah. That's so, why I asked. So the first one, definitely. Because <laughs> <laughs> the first one's actually 700. Yeah. yeah. What a moron. So he's yeah. saying, would I rather lose, what was it? 20 something kilos off my deadlift and get 50 something kilos better at bench. Yeah. Pretty much that one. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) If I lost 20 something kilos off my deadlift, I'd still be better at deadlifting than pretty much like anyone other than powerlifters. And my bench is worse than half the people who aren't powerlifters that I know. So that would take me from a shit bench to a bench that's better than most powerlifters and a deadlift that's still better than most powerlifters. Nice. Easy. Yeah. And a total that's better than most powerlifters. But yeah. most importantly, a total that's better than your own. Yes. And also a total that's better than the other option, you moron, JP. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a stupid question. <laughs> All right. Any oh. other stupid questions from him? Uh, no, that's everything. All right. Have you got any more? Um, all my remaining ones are stupid. So, <laughs> so I think we can leave them aside. Um, all right, that's been Weekly Weights. That was episode 65, the Ask Free Anything, the surprise Q&A. 
Um, I'm Will signing off from Sydney, Australia. I'm Alex signing off from Naxos, Greece. Peace out. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye.